everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. If you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure you believe all this Bible stuff, today you're going to love, I think, okay? What I've got for you here next is free. You can track along for a few minutes. You don't even have to put your defenses up. Because I want to ask you a question. What kind of person do you want to be? I don't know that many of us spend much time thinking about this, because let's be honest, we're all too busy. But it's a question that I think is worth reflecting on for a minute. So let me help you do it in this episode of Journey at Home. kind of person do you want to be? That's an interesting question to think about, isn't it? So when you leave the office, when you leave the room and your friends start talking about you, because let's be honest, we all know they do. I mean, what do you hope they say? And when you leave that big family gathering, they're all waving goodbye, you know, and they're giving you hugs. But once you've left, what do you hope they're saying about you? Or when your kids, your parents, maybe your sorority sisters, your fraternity brothers, when they mention you, what do you hope they're saying? What kind of person do you want to be? Do you realize that's really up to you? You don't have any control over what happens to you, but you have total control over how you respond to the circumstances in your life, and those choices you make eventually make you. So it's in your control. What if you decided that you were going to be an extraordinary person? Now, I'm not saying you're going to be extraordinary at something. We all know people who are extraordinary at something, but they're not extraordinary people. Okay, we've got those stories. But what if you aimed? What if you aimed for being an extraordinary human being? What if for the next week your goal was to be an extraordinary husband or wife or son or daughter or mom or dad? What if you shot for being an extraordinary employee or an extraordinary boss or an extraordinary friend? What if every time you had a decision to make this week, you asked the question, well, what would an extraordinary person do? What if your standard was not You know, how little can I get by with, but how good can I make this? Not what's the least I can do, but what's the best I can do? You know, what would an extraordinary person, a parent, a friend, a spouse do? I think this is actually a really difficult question. I've been thinking about it and living with it for a few weeks now, and I'll be honest, I've realized that I usually know what an extraordinary person would do when I'm in a situation But what I'm realizing is it is not what I am about to do when I ask myself that question. So i got plenty of work to do to get better at this, but I think it's worth it, and here's why. How many times do you get to live your life? Well, once, right? Some of you may think more than once, but it applies even then because how you live it now impacts the next life if you believe in reincarnation. So why not make this one life an extraordinary one? Now, if you're listening to me going... Okay, Matt, that's just motivational talk. Well, think about this. If your kids were watching this today, would you look at them and say, son, daughter, I didn't raise you to be extraordinary. You ignore everything Matt said. Or if your boss is watching, would you look at them and say, hey, don't pay any attention to that. I don't want an extraordinary boss. I like you just the way you are. I mean, would you look at your spouse and go, honey, 
I married you because you just weren't extraordinary. Don't go listen to Matt and screw up what we got going on here. Of course not. I mean, none of us would. You would love it if everybody in your world decided to ask the question of themselves, what would an extraordinary person do? Well, you're only going to live once, so maybe you should try it yourself. Now, here's where the Bible part of this starts, okay? So if you're skeptical and you're watching this because you're visiting family or friends and they gave you no option, they said, sit down, we watch, you know, okay? Well, this is where you can go ahead and put your defenses up. All right, you ready? But for those of us who are Jesus followers, for those of us who take his teaching seriously, we have no choice but to shoot for being extraordinary because we believe there's a personal God who has a personal purpose for every person's life. We believe he loves us so much that Jesus gave his life for us so we could have a personal relationship with him. And we believe that every day is a gift from God that we're to manage for his purposes and that one day we're going to be held accountable for what we did with the life and the opportunities and the relationships that he gave us. And we believe that every person we lock eyes with was made in the image of God, which means they have infinite and immeasurable value to God. So they ought to be treated extraordinarily. That's why every single day matters, every moment matters, every conversation and interaction matters. We don't really have any other option than to pursue being extraordinary people. And if you don't like that or that creates some kind of tension in you, if you find yourself thinking, I'm not sure I want that much responsibility, you know what? I'm not sure I want to take things that seriously. I'd rather just be an ordinary person. Well, I want to share a story with you that I think you're going to be able to relate to. It's a story of a man named Gideon who believed in God, but he didn't believe what God believed about him. He didn't believe he could be extraordinary. He believed in God, but he didn't see himself the way God saw him. So God shows up one day, and he shakes him up, and he says, Gideon, what are you doing? What are you, why are you settling for being so extraordinary? Why won't you live like you're confident that I'm with you and I want to work through you? So let me give you a little bit of the context that sets up this conversation that happens between God and Gideon. It's recorded for us in Judges 6. So the Israelites, the Jewish people, were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, God had just given them over into the hands of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites and the Israelites had this ongoing feud. It had been going on for decades. And during this span of time, God had allowed the Midianites to get the upper hand. And the writer of Judges tells us, because the power of Midian was so oppressive that the Israelites, they were preparing shelters for themselves up in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Because the Midianites, they'd come at different times and invade the land, and the Israelites wouldn't even try to fight. They'd just abandon their homes. They'd flee to the mountains, okay? They'd just go live in a cave. And then when the Israelites planted their crops, well, the Midianites and the other people around there, they would swoop into the land. They'd camp out on the land. They'd ruin all the crops. They wouldn't spare a living thing. They would kill sheep. They'd kill cattle. They'd kill donkeys. They'd just show up, the writer of Judges says, like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They would just invade the land and ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they decided they had no other option than to cry out to God for help. Now, this was the normal pattern for the Jewish people at the time. They did what a lot of us do. They would disobey what God told them to do. Disaster would strike them. And eventually the pain got so great they'd cry out to God to say, Hey, come save us. We've all done that, right? Do you remember when your dad told you not to do that thing when you were a teenager or maybe a college student? But you knew better, so you did it anyway. And then sure enough, something happened. You had to call your dad and say, Dad, hey, I'm, 
I did that thing you told me not to do, and what you said would happen, happened. Now I need you to come help me, you know. Can you come pull my car out of the ditch? Can you come get me unstuck out of this field? Can you come bail me out of jail? Well, that's pretty much what Israel was doing. They disobeyed God, and then when the pain got bad enough, they'd call on the very God that they had ignored to come get them out of the trouble they were in. And every time the Jewish people did this, guess what God did? He would accept them back and help them. Now, he wouldn't always remove the consequences of their choices. He didn't usually do that. But he'd forgive them. He'd show them mercy and grace. He'd give them another chance. And the good news is he'll do the same thing for you. If you're wondering, well, how many times? Well, as many times as you need. So anyway, the Jewish people are like, God, we screwed up. We're sorry. You know, please help us. And this is where we meet Gideon. So one day, the writer of Judges tells us, that Gideon is threshing wheat, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, all right? He should have been outside threshing wheat, but he's so scared of the Midianites, he's down in a hole trying to thresh wheat, which would not have been easy to do. He is not where he's supposed to be. And God sends an angel, a messenger to Gideon. As he's threshing wheat, hiding in a wine press, this angel walks up and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, Mighty warrior. And Gideon's thinking to himself, sorry, you got the wrong guy. I'm no warrior. I'm down here in a wine press hiding. Now, the reason he's doing that is because Gideon didn't see who God had made him to be. He didn't see himself as a warrior at all. Some of you, listen, this is your issue. You just don't see who God made you to be. You have forgotten what God's done in your life. You've ignored what he's told you he wants to do through you. You've let fear and doubt define you. That is exactly where Gideon was. So Gideon responds, and I love this. It's so polite. Gideon responds and says, pardon me, my Lord. So, so nice. Pardon me, my Lord. But here's his question. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You've asked that question too, haven't you? It's kind of like, well, if, if God's with me, why is this happening to me? And then Gideon goes on and he says, where are all God's wonders that our ancestors told us about? You know, we... We heard how the Lord brought us out of Egypt. We've heard all those stories, but we're not seeing anything for ourselves. And then Gideon makes this statement to this angel. He says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian, which is quite a cocky statement to make when there's an angel standing in front of you, but maybe Gideon didn't know who it was. Or maybe Gideon could only focus on himself. Maybe Gideon couldn't move past the fact that he kept thinking, I'm not a mighty warrior. And God isn't a mighty God. Maybe he couldn't see past the circumstances. Maybe he was convinced God had abandoned them. He's kind of going, look at all the bad happening to us. You know, I'm done with following God. And so this messenger, he doesn't give up. He looks back at Gideon and he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Now, if this were a fairy tale, this is where Gideon would stand up. He'd march out of that wine press. He'd go be the hero, you know, but... This is reality. And remember, Gideon's already given up on God, and he's given up on himself. So he doesn't respond with courage. He responds with a polite no thanks. He says, pardon me, my Lord. There he goes again. Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? And then he gives us a little insight into his perspective. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So Gideon's just given all the excuses that we tend to give. Well, God, I couldn't do that. I'm just middle class. I have to work all the time. I don't have enough time. I didn't do very well in school. I'm not cut out for doing that. 
God, I don't have very many gifts. I've never been on stage. Nobody's going to listen to me. You know, you got the wrong guy. This is Gideon. He's going, I'm the least in my family. I'm the least in my tribe. There is no way I'm a mighty warrior. You got to find somebody else. And so this messenger looks back and says to Gideon, oh, I am so sorry. I must be at the wrong house. No, of course that's not how the story goes. The messenger looks back and says, no, Gideon, I'll be with you. And you'll strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, I don't want you to miss this. If you tuned out for a second, you know, tune back in. Give me two minutes of your undivided attention. This is a moment where Gideon has to make a choice. Gideon, do you feel like a warrior? No. Well, you are. Nope, I'm not. Well, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what you say about you or what God says about you? Listen, let me explain how you probably arrived at the view you have of yourself. Your view of you has been shaped by what everybody else around you says about you. That's my guess. But here's my question. What if they're wrong? What if you've been surrounded by the wrong people? What if you've been around ordinary people and you've been listening to ordinary voices to find who you are? So you're doing what ordinary people do with their money and their dating and their marriages and their dreams. But what if God sees you differently? See, God says, I'm with you. The question, Gideon, and the question business owner and the question president of your sorority and college athlete, and coach and teacher and parent, the question for you is, will you be with God? He's with you. Will you be with him? God didn't promise to give Gideon any extraordinary gift, any extraordinary talent, and he probably isn't going to promise to give you that either. What he does promise to give us is himself. He promises to give us his presence. So my question for you is this. Will you choose to live like anyone? Will you choose to live like anyone would who is confident that God is with them? That doesn't mean you won't be scared. You can read the rest of Gideon's story. It's pretty entertaining. He's scared to death the entire time, but he still, in spite of his fear, he decides to start taking steps and to keep following God. He decides to believe God's with him, and his life becomes extraordinary as a result, and yours can too. So will you trust God enough to believe that he's with you? Will you choose to follow him and dare to be extraordinary? Will you do? what an extraordinary person would do who is confident God is with you. My prayer for you is that you'll be able to see yourself the way God sees you. See yourself as valuable as he sees you. I mean, he was willing to give his life to pay the price for you. I mean, you're worth everything to him. So my prayer is that you'll see yourself the way God sees you because when you do, you will begin to do what an extraordinary person would do. You'll begin to become an extraordinary person yourself. Father, would you give us the wisdom to see as you see and the courage to do as you say? Help us to see ourselves and see the people all around us through your eyes. And while maybe we'll do some extraordinary things, most of all, help us to be like your son. Help us to become extraordinary people. In Jesus' name. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. 
and our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church, be sure to visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.